This podcast is presented to you by Pastors Tom and Bonnie DeShal from Celebration Church in Harare, Zimbabwe. For more information, please visit celebrationmen.org. So I have uh, always had the dubious honor of getting to open our action conference each year. And, you know, one of the things that we have that happens in our society today is that uh, pretty much everything you preach today is uh, analyzed. People are watching on internet, they're watching on YouTube, they're watching everything that you preach. And then you have experts that are constantly dissecting. Now, there's no way that you can teach the full spectrum of a topic or a subject in one session. So you have to allow for the fact that we may emphasize, that may sound in one message like an overemphasis of a message or of a, an idea. And so I, I want you to understand that over the next few messages, I will be preaching on a topic that has to do with how we enter into the courts of heaven to obtain things before God. Now, the courts of heaven, if you understand how God operates, I always used to think of the courts of heaven as being like these royal courts, and I believe they are, but I never quite transitioned in my mind to see that they were also legal courts. But if you start reading the Bible and you'll understand that these courts are also legal in their nature, and you begin to see the scriptures, they'll begin to unfold pictures that look more like a courtroom than they do a king's court. Pleading your case before your adversary. Pleading your, your adversary accusing you before the throne of God. There are a number of things that begin to transpire in that heavenly realm. And I believe that it's important that... So what, here's, here's what I want you to understand. That I can't unveil everything that there is in this. Sunday morning I spoke about entering into the throne room and what happens when we pray there. Why we must pray. Why we must make our case. Why we must make an appeal. I also mentioned that there are seven possible courtrooms. And just like in our earthly system, you have small claims courts, you have magistrates courts, you have uh, high courts, you have uh, supreme courts, and not just anybody can go before those courts. You have to approach them and have certain people approach them in different ways. Do you understand what I'm saying? So I depicted that in my message on Sunday, and tonight I began to wrestle with some things. I thought, well, how do we move on? And what is it that we need to talk about in the nation of Zimbabwe? Now, I know that these messages go all over the world, and so I want to qualify why I'm teaching this in Zimbabwe the way I am. Zimbabwe is a nation that has 95% official unemployment. We have a fake currency. We've introduced a new currency. Well, we have fake news. Now we have fake currency. And this currency is really just something that has been fabricated and we're using, but we're supposed to believe that it has the same value as world currencies. But we know it doesn't. But it exacerbates a situation in our nation that we're all faced with. 
And we're challenged. We're challenged financially. What does God have to say about finance? What does God have to say about wanting to bless his people? And I'm convinced in my reading, and I, you know, since I've been a young boy in the Lord, I've heard hundreds of messages talk about a great wealth transfer that would take place, how the wealth of the heathen is stored up for the righteous, and that we need to expect God to do a transfer of wealth into righteous men's hands. And I read through the Bible, and I see where that's happened on numerous occasions, that God rose up and would do something and bless his people or secure a nation. Joseph is an example. Joseph secured his family. Joseph secured the nation of Israel in its infant, infant form. David, God secured the nation through a king that had a heart after God. Daniel, Daniel took a man in exile and put him right next to Nebuchadnezzar to influence power. And I believe that we are living in such a time as that today where God is touching the lives of men and women, Esthers, Daniels, Davids, Nehemiahs, Deborahs, and he wants to use you. Now, when we talk about prosperity and we talk about topics like wealth or money, there are so many extremes on this topic. Even in this nation, we have men merchandising the gospel today. We have people that are selling holy oil, holy water, holy grass, all kinds of stuff. <laughs> it gets a little bit hard to understand. We have people that have merchandised prayers. If you put a $52 seed in, a $520 seed, a $5,200 seed, and, and, and it's like the higher the seed, the greater the prophecy or the greater the anointing or something. I had a young girl in our church who paid $50,000 to get pregnant. And when it didn't happen, she went back to the prophet and said, could I get my money back? And she said, uh, give it another year. And after a year, it still didn't happen. And there were no refunds, by the way. And see, I, I, I want to teach the body of Christ that there is a true blessing and a true transfer of wealth and a, a true way that God wants to move in our lives. Not all of us are going to become millionaires or billionaires or not all of us are going to, but God is talking about a transfer of wealth that liberates you from lack, that destroys poverty. And for some, that increases your influence. This year, the theme of our conference centers around the idea of deliverance. You know, if you're still bound, it's very hard for God to get blessing to you. So God wants to deliver people. Of course, the greatest deliverance is spiritual deliverance. If you've been bound spiritually and don't know Christ... That's the greatest deliverance, and towards the end of this session, this, this meeting, I'm going to give you an opportunity for those that don't know Christ to have the shackles of sin and the shackles of, of a life without God broken. 
and you can receive Christ. But there are other things that we need to be delivered of. For some of us, we just need to be delivered from ourselves. I'm kind of shocked right now at even how Christians have become so self-oriented. Everything's about your selfie. (laughs) It's a sickness. You depict yourself as this happy person 24-7 every day of the week. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? And if you're not happy, if it's, hey, this is the best time I've ever had. How can it be the best time every time? (laughs) Because reality doesn't check there. For me, you know, God's trying to draw, draw his people into a place where he delivers you from lying. Delivers you from falsehood. Delivers you from a fake life with your fake news and your fake money. That's why in our fellowship, in our church, we're working on things like, hey, let's have real relationships. Let's take time to open our hearts and talk about real stuff. We're we're learning how to do that. And it's hard. It's scary sometimes. Cell groups is scary sometimes because we're getting down to, hey, no, no, I don't want to hear the selfie talk. How are you really doing? Did you know that in Zimbabwe, we've pretty much lost the art of how to socialize? I mean, how many of you really know how to have someone over to your home and fellowship and talk and share a meal and share conversation and share life together? How many of you really have opened your hearts to someone else and shared the real struggles of your life? See, we don't do that very well. Because if I show weakness, you might abuse me. We need deliverance. Not only do we need deliverance uh, in that realm, we need deliverance financially. We need deliverance from foolishness. There's all kinds of deliverance. Demonic deliverances. There's, there's, There's demonic things that happen. You need to be delivered demonically. Some of us grew up with... Deep spiritual roots, that, and I'll be talking about that tomorrow morning, about how to break some of the ancestral bondages, the iniquities of your past. Those things need to be broken off your life, but I'm sorry, sometimes that's not going to happen by just the demon being cast out. Sometimes you're going to have to take responsibility. You're going to have to go into the courtroom of heaven and dismantle that thing. Are you listening to me? And I believe in deliverance. Don't get me wrong. But deliverance doesn't solve every problem. Thank you for that one clap there. I appreciate that so, so much. Secondly, we talked about not only do we have to have a deliverance, but we need breakthrough. You see, the the children of Israel got delivered from the hand of the enemy. And that wasn't enough. God said, no, I need to break you through. And he took them through the Red Sea. He gave them a breakthrough. Some of us need a breakthrough in our lives. We've been delivered, but we need some real breakthrough in our lives. So uh, this action conference is all about deliverance, then breakthrough. And that's what it means. 
if, you have, if you're delivered and you have a breakthrough, you're putting yourself in a position that you're beginning to be able to rise up and reign. Rise up and reign. The third thing that we are, have been believing for, and we're believing for this conference, is the receiving of plunder. Tonight I want to talk to you about receiving some plunder, what that looks like, why that's important. You have to go take the plunder from your enemy. Now, sometimes we think of plunder and we think, whoo, I'm going to get rich. You know, sometimes I just like to get back what you stole from me. Sometimes I just like you to pay me back just the money you borrowed from me. That would be plunder for me. Anybody know what I'm talking about? How many, if everybody that owed you money would pay you back, how many of you would be rich? <laughs> Look at that. I mean, the whole church. And then finally, we want that plunder not to consume it upon ourselves. God doesn't mind you having abundance. But for a purpose, God wants to increase your dominion and your influence. And so that's what we're believing for for this action conference. And so with that in mind, tonight I want to talk to you about unlocking wealth by accessing the courts of heaven. As I said, I believe that there's a wealth transfer that has been promised to the body of Christ, promised to the righteous, and I believe that God has been working to prepare the people of God to obtain, to obtain. But I also believe that before this can happen, before we can obtain what God has for us, we have to understand that the enemy deals in the realm of legalities. The enemy is a legalist, and he deals in the realm of legalities. He has legal cases and legal rights to keep the wealth transfer from taking place in your life and my life. And we have to learn what we are supposed to do in the courts of heaven to unlock things, to unlock the plunder, if you will, that God has for his people. We must present our case, as it were, in the realm of the heavenlies to get our verdict in our favor for there to be a release to take place on earth. And sometimes that verdict doesn't come with a five-minute prayer meeting or three confessions, a poem, a prayer, and a promise. It doesn't come when you want it to. It takes hard work. If you've ever been in a court case, and we've had a few in our church, I've watched people have to go to court. They're preparing their cases. They're preparing their arguments. They're preparing their strengths and their weaknesses in their case. They're studying law. They're setting precedent. They're studying precedent. They're coming with their case. So it is when we are appealing on behalf of funding and finance. Does that make sense? When it, on behalf of anything, really. But if the enemy can, on a legality, hold you, he will. And those legalities usually center around our sins or the iniquities of our fathers that are passed down to third and fourth generations. And so when you're trying to get a breakthrough, or you're trying for a deliverance, the enemy says, no, he can't have that because I have legal right to control his finances. And tomorrow I'm going to pick that up in the morning. 
and talk to you about how to break some of that off. But tonight, as I was thinking about this, uh, and before we really can talk about wealth transfer, I think we need to understand what wealth is for. Doesn't that make sense? So let me give you a few things that wealth is for. First of all, wealth is to meet necessary needs. Wealth is to meet necessary needs. You can't understand how oppressive lack is until you come out from under it. Did you know that? You know, I grew up in a really poor family. I have to tell you, I was really poor. Our family was really poor. But I never knew we were poor until I came out from being poor. And I go back and I think of how poor I really was, and I think, we were poor. But when we were poor, and I didn't know we were poor, I didn't think we were bad off. In fact, I tell people, we're good. We're good. But we weren't good. We were poor. I came from a poor family. You know, I remember when I first started preaching in this church, I was the pastor who preached prosperity. I did. I preached prosperity. But the pastor across town lived it. I wasn't living prosperity. I'll never forget my wife and I, we had a couple of clapped out old cars. We lived in a little tiny shoebox of a house. And I was preaching people that, you know, God wants to bless you. God wants to prosper you. That, and, and, and I'm preaching the message. I, I really am. And the pastor's offended. This pastor was offended at me. And he had the decency to come and see me. And I'll never forget, he corrected me. He says, God doesn't prosper people. The word rhema doesn't mean revealed word of God. He, our, the name of our church then was rhema. And there were a number of things that were happening. And he corrected me, and he railed on me a little bit. And I'll never forget, because he was an older man, I respected him, and I, I respectfully disagreed. And we walked outside, and there's a brand new Mercedes-Benz I looked over at my two clapped out pulsers, and I looked at his Mercedes Benz, and I had nothing to say. I just thought, well, all right. <laughs> I was poor. But you see, the truth is something you mature into. It's not about seeking wealth. Now get this right. It's not about seeking wealth. It's just about seeking God's purpose for your life that will bring a blessing and a prosperity upon your life, okay? The prodigal son. What got him out of the oppressive situation of the pigsty? Well, he cried out in the pigsty. He says, how many of my father's servants have bread enough to eat and to spare? You see, the minimum standard in the kingdom should be bread enough to eat and some to spare. That should be your minimum standard. Your needs should be met and there should be some left over. Amen? And that's the standard for servants in the kingdom of God, not sons. Think about that. See, um, if a man or a, or a woman is not financially free, then you're really not free. This isn't revelation. I'm just common sense. 
I think of how many Christians I know that are not free because they don't have enough money. They're not free, some of them, to even come to church. There may be some tonight here that say, I made it to action tonight, but I hope he doesn't go too long because I don't want the taxis to stop, or I don't, want, I, I don't have enough money to pay for a taxi, i got to walk home. I understand that. But when we can't meet our basic needs, we're not free. Does that make sense? Oppression comes with lack. The Bible says the borrower is subject to the lender, and God's trying to remove us, take us out of bondage, and bring us into a prosperity that will allow us to serve him without restraint. How many of you had just a little bit more money would do more for Jesus? How many of you say, man, you know, there's lots of things I'd like to do for God if I could just afford to? That's three of you. How about the rest of you? No, of course, all of us would. In the book of Exodus, we see the story of the children of Israel. And uh, I, I love this story because it depicts a mindset. It depicts a mindset of poverty. Moses and Aaron brought together the elders of the Israelites, it says in Exodus 4, verse 29 and 31. It says, and Aaron told them everything from the Lord, everything the Lord had said to Moses. He also performed the signs before the people, and they believed. I like this. They believed. And when they heard that the Lord was concerned about them and had seen their misery, he bowed down and, they bowed down and they worshiped. Well, not even one chapter later. Exodus 5, verse 14, it says, And Pharaoh's slave drivers beat the Israelite overseer, overseers that they had appointed, demanding, Why haven't you met your quota of bricks yesterday or today as before? When the Israelite overseers went and appealed to Pharaoh, Why have you treated your servants this way? Your servants are given no straw, yet we are told to make bricks. Your servants are being beaten, but the fault is with your own people. Pharaoh said, lazy, that's what you are, you're lazy. That is why you keep saying, let us go sacrifice to the Lord. Now get to work. You will not be given any straw, yet you must produce your full quota of bricks. The Israelite overseers realized that they were in trouble when they were told, you are not to reduce the number of bricks required for, of you each day. Then they left Pharaoh, they found Moses and Aaron waiting to meet them, and they said, May the Lord look on you and judge you. You have made us obnoxious to Pharaoh and his officials, and you have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Guys, we need to be delivered from the oppression that comes with this kind of poverty. There's an oppression that keeps us from being able to make a daily wage, from being able to have enough. In Exodus 6, and, and God wants to deliver us from the devil and from all of those who work under his employment. In Exodus chapter 6 and verse 9, it says that Moses reported this to the Israelites, but they did not listen to him because of their discouragement and harsh labor. Another version says because of their anguish, that means their shortness of spirit and their cruel bondage. 
Well, I'll tell you, when, when you, when you feel like your job is cruel bondage, I see many of our civil servants, they're not being paid. And so what they do is they're charging you so they can eat. Amen? There's no central government anymore, so we are now creating ways and means to eat. But it's oppressive. This is oppressive now. And it's not only oppressive for those that aren't getting paid, it's oppressive for you and me. I don't know about you, but it's also wasteful. For me to sit and talk to a policeman kindly and nicely for 20 minutes, <laughs> trying to persuade him that I don't really need to pay that fine, is a waste of my time that it could be used in something very productive for the kingdom and for our nation. Is anybody listening to me? So that needs a deliverance. We need a breakthrough. Now, there are many tonight here and many that are watching my television around the world, not just in Zimbabwe, but around the world that can't see themselves out from under the situation that they're in today or that they see themselves in today. But I believe that God is saying something. I, I believe he's saying, I am taking you into a new land. I'm going to take you into a season of deliverance. I'm going to transfer wealth, purpose, prosperity, life, and financial liberty on your behalf. You say, well, how's God going to do that? Come tomorrow morning, I'm going to tell you how. Number two, number two, what's another purpose for wealth? Well, wealth is for the purpose of granting influence. It's for the purpose of granting influence. In Ecclesiastes 9, verses 14 through 16, the Bible says this, There was once a small city with only a few people in it, and a powerful king came against it, surrounded it, and built huge siege works against it. Now there lived in that city a man poor but wise. And he saved the city by his wisdom. But nobody remembered that poor man. So I said, wisdom is better than strength. But the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are no longer heeded. See, although this poor man's wisdom saved the day, his poverty did not allow him to have the influence he should have had. Why? Why? Well, I'm going to tell you why. Because wealth is what grants us influence. I promise you the only thing that this world esteems is wealth. This world esteems one thing. They measure everything by wealth. That's the only thing they value. If you have wealth, you have influence. In fact, a friend of mine told me this. He says, it has all to do with the golden rule. He who has the gold makes the rules. <laughs> and it's the truth. You may have the best idea in the world, but if you can't get it to market, if you don't have the wealth to get it to market, it's not going to happen. We have a friend who had an incredible idea, a young man, an invention that could have changed the world. 
literally changed the world. I promise you, he could have changed the world. A Zimbabwean. But he had no wealth. He had no way to get it there. And was so frightened and so afraid, had been beaten up so many times, that I'm not sure that product will ever go to market. But his idea alone could have set this nation as a benchmark in his field for all of Africa and the whole world, to be honest with you. The third thing is that wealth produces reformation. See, I'm sorry. I'm not looking for a revival. I like revivals, but I'm not looking for a revival. What I'm looking for is a visitation of God. See, when you have a visitation, it brings about reformation. Revivals revive the church. Revivals revive your heart. And we need to be revived. And I think some of us could use a good revival. But I'm looking for God to bring his presence here and bring a visitation to our nation. Bring a visitation to the continent of Africa. And allow us to bring about the much needed, much desired reformation that needs to take place. The transformation that needs to take place in our nation. You see, in the late 60s and 70s, I grew up in a movement that was called the Charismatic Renewal, the Charismatic Movement. And this movement was earmarked by a move of the Holy Spirit, mainly in the mainline denominations. I was a Catholic, and I grew up in the Catholic Church, and when this movement hit the Catholic Church, my brothers and sisters, all seven of them, and my mom and dad came home from a retreat at a Benedictine monastery, and they're talking about being born again, and they were speaking in other tongues. I thought they'd gone crazy. I thought they were part of a cult. I really did. I thought, this is nuts. They've gone crazy. And I started getting out all my theology books because I was the oldest son, and I had already gone to theology school. I was supposed to be the Catholic priest. I'd rejected that, but by now I thought, man, I better get them back into the Catholic church. Well, this revival, this move of the Holy Spirit was here to stay. And many of you here tonight are a byproduct of that move of the Holy Spirit in the 60s and 70s that swept not only across the denominations, but then swept across the whole world and swept across Africa. We caught it then, but we caught it really big in the 80s. So I had the privilege of catching it in the USA in the, early, in the late 60s and early 70s and then catching it again here. You know, when I came to this country, I was told that, hey, Zimbabwe is 20% Christian, the rest is animist ancestral worshipers. Today, evangelicals are boasting that they're between 65 and 80% of the population in this country. That's pretty amazing. Now, we may be a thousand miles wide and an inch deep, but that's still okay. We're at least going in the right direction. <laughs> Amen. But you know, here's the problem with that revival and what I believe happened to the church. We had a prevailing attitude that pretty much left its indelible mark in the whole movement. And that was that we used to believe that Jesus was coming back so soon that we don't need to do anything. Because it's just around the corner. Hey, Jesus is coming back. And so don't go to university. Don't get a job. In fact, just leave the world to the devil. And we're just going to wait to get sucked out of here. <laughs> and so that's exactly what happened. The devil took over. And we sang kumbaya. 
Anybody know that theology? But we're fortunate today to understand that God has always had a plan for presence and relationship as opposed to sterility and transaction. God wants to get involved. God wants his fingerprints on things. And he's not just going to stand idly by and just suck us out of here. What he is going to do is he's going to get involved in your life. He's going to help you build the right kind of relationships. He's going to show you a way, lead you into something. And there is a transfer that's coming that can help you if you want that. I've seen many revivals that in the process of strengthening or reviving believers really had no effect on the nation. In fact, sometimes even had a negative effect on the nation. On the nation. And then often had no effect on the lost. You know, I think of much of the revival that's taken place here with the prophets. They've not really led many people to Jesus. They've simply taken foolish Pentecostals out of their churches and tantalized them and titillated them with fancies of quick fix, self-help, prophet help messages. That God's going to fix you if you just give me another offering. If you, if you just get this oil, if you just chew that grass for a little bit longer, you're going to get fixed. <laughs> just come to my meeting and, 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 and we're going to have something that will really happen this time. I'm sorry, excuse me, God is not usually one to work outside in. He usually works inside out. And while we're running around, breaking down churches, not learning how to fellowship, not learning how to really work with each other, relate to each other, the devil's having a heyday. But there's a change that's coming. There's a shift in the atmosphere. We're coming to a place of deliverance and breakthrough. We're coming to a place of seizing the plunder. We're coming to a place where our influence and our dominion is about to take place. I believe that God is going to give us another chance. Not only for revival, but for reformation. I believe that we can move into the courts of heaven. And we can bring God's will to bear on earth. I believe that we can pray the prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it already is in heaven. But I'm going to tell you something. I do not believe that God's kingdom can really come on earth without money. Because it takes money to finance this thing. You know, somebody told me, well, the, the gospel's free. Yeah, 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 so is water. But to get it to your house costs money. Are you listening to me tonight? Tap your neighbor. Say, I think he's really talking to you tonight, okay? And I made friends with a, a, a man about 20, 25 years ago. His name is Dennis Peacock, and he's a pioneer in the area of marketplace ministry. And he said this. He says, finance is the engine of reformation. I believe that. Deuteronomy 8.1 says, remember the Lord your God, and for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth. 
But I love the Bible. I mean, it just says it right there. Remember the Lord your God, for it's He that gives you the power to get wealth. It doesn't say He gives you wealth. He doesn't give you wealth. He says, I give you power to get wealth. See, some of you want wealth. Ooh, yeah, let's see. Let's see what, what, what I have in my pocket. And, and I'm going to give my seed. Now make me wealthy. No. No, it's not your seed that makes you wealthy. It's being in a relationship with the Holy Spirit, a relationship with God, where he begins to give you power. He begins to show you the way, and he gives you the ability to get that wealth. Why? What's the purpose for wealth? So that you can establish his covenant in the earth, his purpose on the earth. See, God, I believe God is beginning to align cultures with God's passion and his will. God is looking for some people that he can trust with wealth. God is looking for a person that he can trust with his wealth, his finance, his purpose in the earth. I just wonder if there's anybody in this house that God could bless with his purpose, his wealth in the earth. I believe God's saying, I will have a people that I can trust. I believe that God's saying, I will have a people that will shift their personal culture, their family culture, their business culture, their church culture, their government culture, their social culture, their whole society into a kingdom culture. I believe that that time's coming, and I believe it's right here now. You see, it is wealth that will produce the Reformation. God directed wealth in the right places will produce a reformation. You know, we're working with the Oral Roberts healing team, and I hope I don't speak out of turn here, but this blessed me so much. The other night I'm with one of my pastors who's working with them, and uh, my pastor came to me and he said, you know, pastor, he says, this is in a very, very marginalized community. He says, you know, this is, these guys are different. I said, what's different about them? He said, you know, we have all kinds of NGOs come in, and they come in, and they just throw money at everything. They just, this, they, they, they know what they're going to do, and they just throw the money at it. He said, these guys are sitting down, listening to people, finding out what they want to do, finding out how they can really do some grassroots stuff, really helping them find their own way, find something that they can turn into a business, turn into something that could prosper, help them to work with their own hands, that they might have something. He says it's so different than the NGO that we've, that we've had in the past. See, I think that therein lies the shift. Now you back that with a little bit of money, but more importantly, you back it with the right kind of direction. Did you know that that might be a deliverance for somebody? It might be a transformation for somebody and for a community. I hear somebody tonight saying, you're really spiritual tonight. And you're saying, well, money isn't important to me. All I want is my needs met. Well, maybe what I'm talking about isn't very spiritual. But neither is what you're talking about. In fact, what you're talking about is very selfish. You see, all you're concerned about are your own needs being met. You aren't concerned about the wealth or enough provision to bless another, let alone a culture or another generation or a community 
or a nation. See, I think that's why God's saying, I need to change your attitude about money. A poverty mindset, a poverty mentality is what the devil is using to keep the church and the kingdom from receiving the wealth transfer. We must understand that God wants to give money to his people so that we can shift the culture. And it's for us to say, or for us to say, I'm not interested in money. Or I just want enough money to meet my needs is the most selfish things that we can say. It's so contrary to the scripture because 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 8 says, And God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that you always having all sufficiency in all things may abound unto every good work. That doesn't sound like enough. That sounds like more than enough. Amen? My last point tonight, the fourth purpose of wealth. We'll close after this. Are you ready for it? The fourth purpose or the fourth reason for wealth is to be enjoyed. First Timothy 6, verses 17 through 19 says, Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. That they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. You know, it's amazing to me how many people feel guilty about wealth. How many of you say, man, I do, I feel guilty about wealth. I just, gee. Anybody feel guilty about wealth? Anybody? Yeah. Ah, I see some people who are honest. Well, I don't. So if you want to just, you, I'll take your wealth, okay? God doesn't want you to feel guilty about enjoying this life. He said, I give you all things to enjoy. Job 36, verse 11 says, If they obey and serve him, they shall spend their days in prosperity and their years in pleasures. See, the condition isn't to seek the wealth. The condition is to seek obedience. God takes pleasure in the prosperity of his servants, the Bible says. Have you ever read that? He takes pleasure in the prosperity of his servants. There's some of you here today, and you really don't have a revelation of how much God really cares for you, how much he really wants to bless his children. I wish you had that. Matthew 7, 11 says, if you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more will your heavenly Father, which is in heaven, give good gifts to them that ask him? You see... I just want to let you know, the devil is using something in the courts of heaven to block God's blessing on our lives. Throughout the scriptures, God says, it's his good pleasure to bless us. He says, it's my good pleasure to give you the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is not eating and drinking. He says, it's righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. But how do you know where there's peace and joy and righteousness, there's abundance. You have everything. He says, he withhold nothing. He who gave his own son... 
with, with, he says, how will I withhold anything from you if I didn't withhold my son? Every good and every perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights in whom there's no variable, there's no shadow, no turning. Good and perfect gifts. God wants you to be blessed. Tonight I'm devastated at how many believers I know don't really believe that God wants to bless them. It's evident in their lives because they don't trust him. They'll steal. They'll lie. They'll cook up deals that they know don't work just to make a dollar. How many Christians have put together business plans not to run a business but to get enough money so that they can buy a Mercedes or a new suit or, or eat or chow for another month or year or five years. These are Christians, let alone what's going on in but you expect it from sinners. But it's showing a lack of trust in God, our Father. God says, hey, it's my desire to bless you. It's my desire to give a wealth transfer. But I've got to do it where it's righteous, on a righteous platform. So sometimes you go and you ask for something, and the devil says, you can't do that, God. You can't bless that one. Why? I have legal right. How do we dismantle the legal right in the courts of heaven? Thanks for listening. For more teachings and videos, visit celebrationmen.org.